And we're joined by Amelia Ball, who was the uh, editorial director of um, the Holiday Wine Companion and now out doing fun things on your own. And um, welcome into the studio. Thank you for having me. So um, we, uh, we had a question from a listener, um, Dan, who wanted to know about cellaring and he, he's from Sydney. And um, so we kind of thought, let's find someone who has done a bit of work in this space and, <laughs> and, uh, and done a bit of research. So um, tell, I suppose what we want to do is give people some, some rules of thumb about, you know, starting a cellar, building a cellar and, you know, doing it the right way. So, you know, not storing something for, for five or six years in poor conditions and opening the bottle and, and being really disappointed, right? So um, I guess let's let's chat about the, the theory. You know, you, you've kind of done a bit of work on this. Yes, I have had the privilege of picking many, many fabulous experts' brains on the subject of cellaring. So mm-hmm. really I've just stolen all their best advice. Good. <laughs> um, but I suppose uh, in the instance of someone wanting to really just get started, I think it's probably the the first the first thing to really think through is what you want that seller to do for you. Do you want to become that person with very special wines for 5, 10, 15, 20 years or do you really just like the idea of having your favorite wines on hand with a with a you know across a range of styles. Mm. And then I think you can really set yourself up well so you've got what you want there. And I think The other thing is I think once people start falling down the wine rabbit hole, they feel like they need to sell her. And this might sound silly, but I think a really key question to ask yourself is do you actually like aged wine? Have you tried enough developed wine that's lost that vibrancy and developed all those beautiful secondary characters? So it's, you know, those fresh floral Fruit-driven wines are go- potentially going to be much more savoury, mm. and I think it's a really good exercise for people newer to cellaring to to dig up some back vintages. Um, you know, well, the- Dan Murphy. Yeah, I, you were going to say the same yeah. thing. Yeah. So Dan's well, got that five-year release. We're pretty program. good at that. So I'm actually doing a masterclass on Thursday, which Ange from the station is going to come to. And I won't mention the wines, but it's mm. like, so are we, this is like basically a daily thing for me talking about this, right? Yeah. But often you're right. I think, Amelia, the, the first question, as you say, you need to ask is, do you like drinking old wine? And if you don't know, get down and grab a 2013 Wins Black Label Cabernet that mm. we've, you know, and classic, yeah. right, classic Australian wine, everyone sells it. We know it sells really well. Try that. And then if you don't like that, you're not going to like a, a 20. 2008 or 2004 or 96 or 91 or insert classic vintage here, right? Yes, because like everything in wine, it's purely subjective and you Mm. don't have to like old wine. And it can be very, very polarising. Very much so. And I think even even as an exercise, I think it's a really good thing to do to get the new release and put it against an older vintage. Get some wine-loving friends together, share those two bottles and really consider them. And I think that's a really good starting point for what you're going to be tasting down the track too. So mm. I think mm. there's quite a lot of geeky exercises you can do at the start <laughs> of your cellaring journey. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, so we'll be taking current vintages of iconic classic things that people sell her. Mm. So let's just talk generically about that. It's going to be Riesling, it's going to be Cabernet, it's going yep. to be things like that. And then seeing what it's like 5, 10, 15 years down the track. I've got a couple of 
special things I'm going to pull out from my cellar. Amazing. Uh, and I'm hoping one of them is going to be far gone, and I know it will be actually probably, <clears> because I want to show someone what a wine's like when it's way too gone, yeah. just so that they can experience that too and go, well, uh, that's what it shouldn't be like. Yes. But that's what happens when you leave it too long. And, and that's it's worse to have a wine that's gone too long than opening it too early. That right? is yeah. such a good rule of thumb. It's yeah. always better to go early. And I think the question we used to receive at Halliday all the time is, how do you know when to drink it? How do you know when to drink it? The fact is you don't. No. And, Not and, until you open it. Yeah. <laughs> and you've just, you know, got to throw caution to the wind. And then, you know, that's where some of those general rules can come into play with, you know, buy multiples wherever possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean six or twelve. No one really has the means or the space. Um, but you know, even if you're just buying three or four bottles at a time, it means you can open one straight away because you're excited and want to see what it tastes like now. And then you've got three more bottles, for example, to play mm. with. And whether you to open go maybe them, year three and then year five or something. Yeah. yeah. To, or yeah. if you can't keep away, then try them in six months or eighteen months. But mm. You know, then you've got sort of an exercise in motion to see where you like it. And you might actually discover you like it at 18 months and not seven years. So Mm. um, it's all helping for your later cellaring journey, essentially. Mm. Yeah. Well, I started my cellar in my 20s. And so I was a classical musician who travelled to wine regions for fun. And it was like, oh, cool, I'm in Margaret River. I'll buy some Margaret River Cabernet and I'll... Then I started thinking, well, what am I going to be drinking on my 30th, 40th, 50th, 60th, 70th? Yeah. And started buying magnums of Cullen Dynamadeline for that sort of stuff. And then before we get into the technical part of what to sell are, have you read The Hobbit? Do you know the story of The Hobbit with yeah. the dragon yeah. who, who just sits on his gold? Right. And he never lets anyone near his gold. Yes, that's like the that that could be part of the problem with becoming a wine <laughs> seller, Amelia, can't it? Because I didn't want anyone to ever drink any of my bloody wine mm-hmm. ever. You're not touching me wine, mm. and I solved my problem of not you know ha- having wine like that in the house. My cellar was in Port Melbourne, mm. you know, at Kennards, yeah, and then my wine fridge was at home, and the top shelf was like off limits. But anything else, like if you had a few, you could you could touch. That was fine. And then at some point I was moving over to Europe and my mates said to me, what are you going to do with your cellar? You're just going to keep cellaring it. And I'm like, great, I could come back in five years and have this amazing cellar, but I could just drink it with my mates because I never drank any of it. Cause, and that, that's what they're angling at, not to try it, but just like, mate, why Get off you, your gold, mate. Why have, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why have you got it? And I was like, you know what? I, yeah, let's start drinking it. So yeah. I started with my top. You know my best wines, and I just every Friday night, be like, well, let's drink my Burgundy, or let's 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 drink my Bordeaux, or whatever. And yeah. half of it I'd bought with a previous partner, and I had a bit of bad juju about it. They were good wines, but I just so I sold that, and we had this six months that was the best six months of drinking of all time, because it's like, oh, I bought that for my sixtieth. Oh, bugger it, let's drink it. Yeah, and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's one of the biggest mistakes you can make and I have also in the past been very guilty of it because you're like, okay, it's in there and I'm just going to wait and I'm going to wait and there's no occasion that ever sometimes seems like the right one. But I think the thing that's been drilled into me over the years is that make it the occasion. Yeah, the wine's the occasion. It was made to be enjoyed. These producers didn't pour their heart and soul into it just for it to be locked up and stared Mm. at. So they're really meant to be enjoyed and I think... In my experience, um, the pandemic here really 
um, made me look at my collection very differently. And so we really ripped through some excellent wines, mm. particularly in that first year, because it was like, well... well when are we going to bloody drink them? Yeah. 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 And then you've got gaps in your cellar and you can fill them again. So yeah. I forgot how enjoyable it is to actually make those purchases and start again. Yeah. So it's, You know, I think it, one of the biggest rules of thumb is when you're curating your cellar is curate your mates, right? Yes. Because you've got this fantastic wine you've been sitting on for however long and you remember where you bought it and you don't want to then come bring that wine to somewhere and it's like, oh, okay, that's not really great in return. You know, I've got one glass of this wine now (laughs) and I'm getting this rubbish in return. Yes, and I think that's a really good point because, um, again, a lot of people I've spoken to in the industry over the years, it's like, you know, you hang on to this wine, you're so excited about it and just be... Be mindful of who who you share it with. You obviously had the right friends to do that on a weekly basis and work through your great wines. But, yeah. you know, with people who are going to appreciate it and mm. not just knock it back and then look for the next bottle. Yeah. Well, they, they, that cuts both ways. So the best wine I had in my cellar was like a, a 99 Close and Jack of Rousseau or something, right? And I actually drank that with my neighbour who's, um, I won't mention his name or anything, but he's a guy that doesn't have the means to look after himself in terms of that. But he loves wine, but he just literally cannot afford it. Mm. And he he often won't cook very well for himself. So I was Mm. like, I, I used to have him around for dinner every week. So I cooked up this beautiful duck dish for him and, you know, but I made it seem like it wasn't very fancy. And then I opened this incredible bottle of Burgundy and he was just, he's never had anything like this at all in his life. And and he was like, oh, did you get that just down the local pub? And I was like, I did, mate. And he's like, oh, do you reckon they've got another bottle? I was like, I know they haven't. Don't worry, it wasn't that expensive. But, but, but I got enjoyment out of that because yeah. I knew that this guy would never... You know. ruined him for life now. No, no, but he's like, well, he doesn't drink that much wine, so I could yep. have done anything. But And yeah. maybe he was just humouring me. But it felt nice for me to share one of my most amazing bottles And I think that with, is with the true joy of a collection, it. when you can share it and, yeah. you know, you don't have to bore people with the story behind it like you even played it down. Oh, totally. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's that... It's that sharing and, and yeah. doing it with people and that's how wine was intended. So, yes, you have mm. to remember to open it and drink it and make it the occasion. The bottle <laughs> is the occasion. That's good advice. Why yeah, don't we go, should should we go back to the more technical stuff though, Simon? Yeah, sure. let's do that. So, um, obviously, temperature is a big thing um, and the conditions as far as light and that sort of thing. So, yeah. what, what would you say are the kind of rules. Oh, well, look, not everyone has an underground cellar in their house. So I think if you're really starting out and wanting to find the right spot, you want it to be cool, you want it to be dry, you want it to be stable, and you want it to be away from vibration. And so um, really, look, people have very successfully cellared in a cupboard within a box. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people suggest if you really don't have anywhere to put it, the wooden boxes that European wines come in can be very well insulated. Same with polystyrofoam, Mm -hmm. um, polystyrene. Um, So there's lots of different sort of hacks you can do, but you want it to be in a very stable environment. So the sweet spot, everyone has a different opinion, but somewhere between 12 and 16 degrees. But again, if, if you've got a space in your house that's different to outside of that window, but it's more stable, that's actually going to be a better bet because you don't want those fluctuations in temperature. Yeah, like from the depth of winter to the height of Correct. summer, just limit that. Yeah. Or even the daily variations. They, they tend to cook the wine sort of faster, don't <clears> they? <throat> so, yeah, stability absolutely would be the key. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you're looking, yeah, a cool dark corner of the house. Mm. Again, if it's in a box, in a cupboard, you're, you're, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, and, and I often, people will buy stuff and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm drinking this in X amount of time, whatever. The first question I say is, well, how are you storing it? Yep. And if they don't have what you're talking about, like a wine fridge or a cellar somewhere like at a Kennards or whatever, <laughs> yeah, polystyrene in a box somewhere in the cool part of the house is going to be better than just leaving it out. And, of course, you know, with a, with a wine under cork, you're going to have to have it lying down, aren't you? Mm. Yes, have to be horizontal for cork, but obviously screw cap, which is predominantly, well, certainly in Australia, they can be any which way. Yep. And, um, and yeah, and don't don't jiggle or move the bottles. Just oh, that's the other thing, still. isn't it? People say, oh, I turn my bottles. No, yes. no, 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 don't touch them. <laughs> leave them. No, oh leave God. them. Should um, I put my champagne lying down? Absolutely you should because it's under cork. So yeah. if you're storing that for, for a long time. Because we had Tyson on recently, didn't we, talking about, you know, champ, all things mm. champagne. But also, like, he, he puts his non-vintage cellar wine, um, champagnes, um, into cellars as well because he likes them with okay. a bit more age too. So there's nothing wrong with that as well. But, mm. yeah, make sure you, you try and keep them lying down if you can. Yes, yes. But the beauty of screw cup, which, you know, is more and more, that, I mean, yeah. yeah, you can store them any which way. Um, I love the screw caps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's, you know, we, we had actually had a guy on from the cork in one of the, um, they do diarm yep. corks, and he said, you know, some winemakers are choosing to do it, to, you know, use them again. Um, mm. But typically I think, you know, most winemakers are sort of loving well. the fact that a screw cap delivers the wine in the way that they want it to be. Yeah. And without any... Um, Influence from yeah, I am hearing more and more producers actually just play around a bit more with cork and other alternatives now, sort of trying some of their more premium wines back in cork, and mm. because it's gotten so much better. Oh, and the availability now that the a lot of other closures on the market. Yes, and we opened some um, Laurent, uh, De, no, not Domaine Ponto, Laurent Ponto wines, mm. the new ones that came in. They've got these crazy plasticky type corky oh, wow, things, I which seen are. Oh, I'll show you a photo. They're they're incredible, but it's like out of all the tens of thousands of wines that we've tasted under screw cap. I've only ever had two that were corked, you know, but I've had a lot of wines under cork that were corked and I opened a 99 Leoville Poifray that I've been selling for the grand final, took the day off and I'm a Swans fan and the first quarter happened and it was corked and my day was absolutely, (laughs) (laughs) oh mate, I just turned the telly off and went for a a walk and had a beer (laughs) in the park. But, uh, (laughs) you know, you just never know, do you? So... If we get back to our rules of thumb, mm. we've got fluctuation in temperature to try and limit that, nice, cool, you know, dark part of the of the house, especially for white wines that are in a, often a clear bottle. That's yes. important to keep the, yeah, good the, the um, you know, uh, aspect at bay. Um, but then it's, it's probably, like you said earlier, it's about what do you want the seller to do, you know? So um, do you want to try... You know, a, a Marsan or a Semillon and, and then have that as a young wine and then try it in five or ten years? Or do you want to get a Riesling and, and again, have that once it goes into its lull and comes out at year five, ha- have that? But you've got maybe you're buying three or, you know, if you can do six, then you've got those to have that sort of vertical aspect along the journey. Yeah, and I think if you're really organised and and you've got the benefit of if you're setting up a cellar now or a collection now, I should say, then you've got the benefit of being able to structure it the way you want. So you can make a box of, you know, you could even label it like 
don't touch for five years or mm. have the other wines that are in easy reach for what you want. Um, so I think there's a lot of planning around the types of wines you're buying. Um, but I think in terms of wine selection, the best tip I think there is is to keep in mind that your palate will change. Mm. And if you're buying all of the same sort of wine, in theory, they're all going to come into their peak drinking at the same time. Mm. And say that might be 10 years from now, you might decide that you've gone off that style of wine and you've got an entire cellar full of whatever it might be. So I think um, really forcing yourself to buy diversely, even if you can't imagine ever loving anything other than Barossa Shiraz, buy different styles of Shiraz. Mm. You know, you obviously love that variety. Mm. Go to the Rhone. Go to somewhere left field like Margaret River or... Canberra. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Try Great Western for Mm. softer styles. And um, so I think diversity is, is key because... You know, there's nothing worse than looking in your collection and just having a style that you've moved on from. Yeah. And um, really what you hear from a lot of people is their tastes become a little less in your face. Mm. So you may have you might have loved South Australian bold reds 15 years ago, but now you're loving pinots and lighter style reds. And there's lots. I mean, as we know, there's a huge spectrum of styles. So, um, yeah, I think it's reading widely as well and knowing what's out there. And maybe, you know, you don't need to pour over tasting notes, but perhaps looking for descriptors that sort of sound like what you enjoy in a wine. Mm. So, And and often following a wine writer, a wine critic, um, who you've tried some of their suggestions and you like their palette because it sort of feels like you're aligned a bit to them? I think so. That's a really, really good way um, because there's always people that you, yeah, as you say, align with. So you can Mm. follow and you know when a critic is enthusiastic about a wine as opposed to Mm. talking nicely about a wine, Mm. you know. So, um, yeah, that's a really, really good idea. And, I mean, I don't need to tell you guys, but obviously talking to your team at your local bottle shop and even even if you don't have the language to describe a wine that you loved, take a photo and say, I liked this. Mm. What else is like it? It's like developing a relationship with a good butcher. You know, exactly. and, and, and and you're like, I want to know where my lamb comes from. Name would be even better. But, like, you, you know, I, I that's all I get paid to do is to develop relationships with customers. And there are great little independent bottle shops that do it extremely well as well, of course. You know, like a place like Prince Wine Store or whatever would be a good example of, you know, these guys have been doing this a long time. And I, I often get people saying things to me, just because they don't, they're on their wine journey at the beginning, and I love that because I was there at one point too. And I, I was saying the same stuff. Why would I buy Pinot Noir? That doesn't sell it very well. Well, actually, hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're right. Your tastes, they, they, they absolutely change. Uh, and, you know, I started, like everybody probably starts, buying big McLaren Vale and Barossa Shiraz, or Shiraz, if you're talking to them. And, uh, you know, but then it just became more about European wines and more about wines that are that is more interesting for me. So mm. Chenin Blanc is a great variety yes. that sells so well and yet it's like nobody knows about it in Australia, you know. It's crazy. And the beauty of that is it's so undervalued. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say. It, it's, yeah. We love the undervalued. I mean, Riesling. And- Riesling is a great example of it. And, I mean, I... I I find Clare Valley... Oh, I'm getting in so much trouble for this. I find young Clare Valley Riesling too abrasive and too mm-hmm. impudent. 
and then I find like after seven or eight years, it just I can deal with it. It's yeah. you know. I often think like Cabernet and Riesling when they're young are a bit like a ruckman in, in a game of football when they're young. They're all gangly arms and legs. They're not quite coordinated yet. And then they just get to the point where they're Brody Grundy doing these crazy things. <laughs> Insert whatever team you're into. Yeah. Um, not uh, Collingwood anymore. No, well, no. <laughs> but imagine him and Max Gorn together. Yeah, that's right. going to be like, Jeez. that's like Hill of Grace going against Grange, mate, on the same team, <laughs> right? See what I did there? Yeah, see what you did there. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I think we... Just give it a go. It would probably be the thing. And, you know, wine cabinets with um, Christopher, one of our um, listeners who texts in regularly, he he said, you know, what are some of the fridge brands? He's got a Liebherr one and mm-hmm. obviously Vintech is another. Um, they're all, you know, there are lots of good brands that do a great job. And if you've got a spot for you know, even a bar fridge size yeah. cabinet. And one thing I'd yeah. add to that and um, uh, Aldi once mm. a year do a $299 I'm not sponsored in any way. Uh, <laughs> I've got a motor bought one. Of the, yeah, they're yeah. like a 40 odd um, bottle fridge, and I actually saw it in the catalogue recently. I can't remember when it's if if we've just missed it. Right. But that one is really really mm-hmm. reliable, and yeah. it's you know it's just such a great size to start. The only problem is that it's you fall down the rabbit hole, and then you need another one and another yeah. one. Mm. So, again, it's it's all in the planning. So if you can fork out for a bigger one, it is definitely worth it because you probably because you will fill it. Up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But or, or the other thing is, if you don't feel confident of having that, or you don't want to fork out your hard earned on a yep. big asset at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, go to a Kennards or an MW Wines or insert storage Fort Knox or whatever. They have rooms that are that have incredible security with 24-hour yeah. access that are 13 degrees and the lights turn off and you've got lockers and they check the locks every day and yeah. that can be a really good... And from 30 bucks a month maybe, I'm guessing, I don't know. Yeah, it's such a good idea and the beauty of that one is that, you know, it keeps you away from them. It's off the, site. At the 1am, you know, when you... Never did it. <laughs> I never went to my Port Melbourne locker and took wine out of it. It until, means they're going to be there when you yeah, get back. So. When you wake up tomorrow and go, I wasn't really going to enjoy that yeah, so much. Yeah, yeah. We also had the guy from Pentridge on, didn't we? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and he, he was saying, like, people are buying their little mm. area and they're just hanging out with other people and they're starting to swap bottles that they've got because oh, their taste has changed. It's a little community. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's, what, that's and the ideal thing. And you can have friends in there and there's a couch area and you can have your cheese platter oh. and have wines from your cellar and they've got, you know, little displays in their thing and it's, yeah, so they've... Real proud. Oh, uh, that's great. I did a tour of that place um, in the very, very early days, so it wasn't quite completed. So I need to sort of picture how it's... it's Well, we we said we were going to go and check it out, but... um, Yeah, I I had a tour. Oh, you did the tour? Yeah, it's fantastic. So it literally was a cell, um, but they they do all the racking. You know, they put the um, air conditioning stuff in there, you know, temperature control and whatever. So, and it's, yeah, really cool. So, I mean, it's about a hundred grand, I think, but you own it. It's something you could sell if you wanted to. Um, but again, it's, um, it's offsite. Off-site. And it's actually locked in a prison. So it <laughs> makes it even harder to get you on it. Security is not an issue in that place, no. <laughs> so, um, now, Amelia, we should um, talk about Amelia Ball and <laughs> what you're doing now, now that you've kind of... You moved on. Are you doing yes. a few fun things? Yeah, I'm having a ball. So I moved on from Halliday earlier this year. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd been with Halliday for a long time, so I was part of the founding team with the magazine. So people yeah. are obviously very familiar with the book. 
Um, but we launched a magazine at the end of 2011 yep. off the back of the masthead. And so I was looking after all the content across the website, the magazine. That's um, a big the job. Newsletters. That's yes. a big job. Yes, but an incredible one. And yeah, so I sure. loved working closely with James, of course, and the tasting team. And um, yeah, so I moved on from there earlier this year and I've just been freelancing and mm. loving it. So still seem to be immersed in the drinks world. Um, with a little bit of uh, other projects going on. But, yeah, I'm just freelancing. Right. Yeah. Did you ever live out that way or were you based in town here? Or No, always here. Yeah. I'm a Sydney girl originally. So, oh, right. Yeah. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to our Sydney listeners. I'm a Swans fan. You guys know I love it. But it, it would be hard in, in various places around Australia, harder. Like, for instance, Perth would be a hard place to to find a cool spot in your house, depending on which way your, your property faces and Queensland because of humidity, right? Mm. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we're pretty lucky here. But, um, you know, we used to hear from readers in Queensland who yeah. successfully found ways to sell it without ever buying a wine fridge of any sort. Or What about, like, you're driving down the road, you see an old fridge, like a fridge fridge, mm. and you, you could actually use that without turning it on. Would that be a good way to do it? I think to a certain extent it would obviously hold a stable temperature. I think it, there's worse interim solutions. I, I don't could, know about long could, term, yeah. but, yeah. yeah, definitely. You could you could do worse. And then there's the stories of someone who's just found a wine up the back of the grandma's cupboard that's been standing up for 30 years and they open it, it's an incredible thing, and I love that too. That's mm. just the luck of the draw. Well, it? that's the true beauty of cellaring, isn't it? Something yeah. you think is going to be incredible that should be and it's within its suggested drinking window just really hasn't gone the distance. And, mm. you know, I... I'm a bit of a do as I say, not as I do when it comes to cellaring. So I actually found a bottle that really shouldn't have been in my collection not that long ago and it, it really didn't tick any of the boxes for what you'd put down and right. it was sensational. Can you tell us what it was? It was, it was actually, it was like a 2006 Semillon Sauvignon Blanc from Margaret River that would have cost $14 wow. at the time. Awesome. And I opened it just for a giggle <laughs> and maybe because it was semi... I mean, there are some yeah, blends like, of that yeah, style of that course. would truly mm. Mount Mary Trilly would sell it very well. So it's, it's not a general rule that you can't sell it that. But this particular wine, it just there was nothing about it that should have been put down. But I don't know, it just was... A really stunning wine. Wow, so, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And then on it goes. So you think, oh, maybe I should buy some and put it down and, you know. I was sitting with a mate um, in his pool over in France and he, he's a German guy and he's like, oh, I've got my birth year, Gewurztraminer from this vineyard, 71. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my Lord, they were incredible. Oh, I don't yeah. know, the producer just had a 1971 label wow. on it. And it was like this... Great paradigm shift of you think you know everything about or anything about wine. The, mm. What I know now at 45 is nothing and it's just a whole world out there and I'm just keeping on like bring it on, sucking it all in, you know. Mm. So do you think it was the sugar levels, do you think, that's really for something like a Gewurz that's held up? Or? I think it actually just came from a nice old vineyard yeah. as much as anything. Yeah. So it's kind of we go back to that Shannon Blanc thing, you know, and some of the great Vouvray's. I remember I had a 64 Mark Bredif Vouvray 
at Scopri with crumbed lamb's brains on this white wow. broad bean mash, and it was just like. Oh, I could now die. This is like <laughs> the most, you know, the most incredible thing of all time. But um, yeah, the old Rieslings are great. So yeah. I was lucky. Hey, Dad, I know you're listening, but Dad sellered in inverted commas some wines. But the story with him was he had all this seventies Grange. He had it under the house, but he left it for too long, mm. and there was quite a bit of ullage, but not enough for it to be not saleable. Sold the ten bottles at auction, got two and a half k. Bought a Vintec wine fridge and now he's got his wine fridge in the garage and yeah. he can sell her properly. That's way to do it. So that, it kind of worked out nicely for him yeah. and me because I get to drink the wine. <laughs> and I think, you know, on, on that point partly, and we probably need to wrap up shortly because we've been rigs um, coming up, but um, you, on your point about the $14 SEMSAV from Margaret River, when you pull that out, even in five years or in 10 years' time, if, you know, if, the, whatever, if that wine was something that on at auction is going to make you know three hundred bucks, it still actually only cost you fourteen bucks, right? So, uh, you know, when people say oh, I've got all these wines and they're you know they're worth all of this money, well, did you really do it for the three hundred bucks, or did you do it to enjoy it? And and I think that's the other thing about planning your salads. Yeah. You know, is this an investment thing that you want to do? Because that's a whole different thing. And you need to have really good conditions to make sure that when you do sell it, it's going to get the money it should. But really, it's about you bought that wine for whatever reason, wherever you were, and you should be enjoying it. Yes. The uh, the only really successful wine investment stories I've heard are the ones who change their mind 11 yeah. years down the track, sell them and get enough to repurchase something else. Yeah. So mm. they're not in it for a profit. It's yeah. more of a... A jigsaw in terms of what yeah. they're putting in and out. Rearranging yeah. kind of the There's only collection. a couple of wines that are going up in value and, and that's stuff like Rockford or Wendery and, and that's changing now too because the, the Wendery are finding that all the people on their list are starting to sell their wines in the secondary mm. market. So it's those, those – I think the days of buying – penfolds and stuff and it's seeing it go up in value but i mean maybe g4 g5 g3 aside those days are pro- probably over and yeah buying wine for investment remember a lot of um superannuation funds did that in the 90s that didn't go so well i don't reckon <laughs> so but uh, my advice would be buy wine to sell it to drink it yes. don't worry about what it costs in the long run <laughs> Buy it because you want to have it. That's, mm. That should be the last Drink yeah. it. You're yeah. doing the work, right? You're yeah, absolutely. Keeping it for the 10 yeah, years. Enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. And Drink then if, it. Yeah, later on, if you don't like it like you did before, then sell it and you'll make mm. your money back and that's fine. Yeah. 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 And reinvest. Yeah. Very smart. <laughs> absolutely. Um, Amelia, thank you. Um, if you would like to hang around and we can have a chat to, uh, to Ben, um, if you've got the time, otherwise up to you. But... Um, we uh, we probably need to have a break. Then we yeah. can uh, get him on the line. And um, thanks for coming into the studio. It makes it so much me. more fun, doesn't it? And so uh, to Dan, um, if you're not listening live, then we'll be podcasting this, so you can uh, get everything you need to know about cellaring wine. And thank you for the question.